The following audio is from Life Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information about our church, please visit lifebaptistchurch.com. A number of things about the Bible can be a tough pill to swallow. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. It's better to give than to receive. And all of these are profound truths. But I would say probably one of the most difficult and potentially most offensive truths to swallow in the Bible is the comparison of us to sheep. Now, I don't know how much you guys know about sheep, but they are about as dumb as it gets. In the South, where I'm from, we would say that if they had a thought, it would die of loneliness. All right? Even, well, in this story, listen to how dumb these sheep are. (laughs) There was a story that ran in 2005 out of the USA Today in Istanbul, Turkey. There were a number of shepherds who took their communal flock onto a hillside to graze. Once they had settled in, the shepherds went off a little ways to sit down and have breakfast and watch their sheep from a distance. And that's when things went downhill, literally. One of the sheep decides he's going to wander off. He wanders up the hill to the other side where there's a crazy steep cliff. And he has a thought, and it probably died of loneliness right there. I can only imagine what he thought when he sat there and he said, you know what, now's the time to test out my flight theory. And he jumps off the cliff. And I know what you're thinking, one sheep jumping off a cliff isn't that big of a story. And it wouldn't be, except that that one sheep going off the edge was all the encouragement that the flock needed to test out their theory. And that's when 1,500 sheep jumps off the edge of a cliff. 450 sheep died that day. And I know what you're thinking. You just said 1,500 went over. Well, as they jumped over, the pile grew higher, and it was softer for the guys that went over last. So you may be able to spin this story and say that 450 sheep died that day for a good cause. They were explorers. They were testing boundaries. But don't pull the wool over your eyes. You might even say that they were just team players. They wanted to support their first guy so he didn't look like an idiot. But I'd be fleecing you to suggest that. And I know what you're thinking now. Alan, these are bad attempts at humor. And now I'm done. Thank you. Y'all have a good morning. (laughs) But no, the sheep are simply acting the way that they were designed to. They aren't the brightest tools in the shed, and so they need the constant supervision and help from their shepherd in order to guide them on the right course. And as tough of a pill as that is to swallow, that sure sounds a lot like us. We wander. We want to do our own thing, and even if we know it's not the best for us in the end, we follow others into their bad decisions. And so unfortunately, there are just a lot of similarities between us and sheep. We're in our third week of our parable series. Nate and Chuck have laid an awesome foundation for us as we go through the next couple of weeks. And if you haven't guessed it by now, our parable this morning is the parable of the lost sheep. Our text today is going to come out of the 18th chapter of Matthew, verses 12 through 14. So let's go ahead and dig in, and then we'll pray and ask God to reveal to us what he has for us this morning. Starting in verse 12, he says, What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that's straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray you'd reveal to us what you have. 
I pray that you'll give us hearts to understand and ears to hear. I pray that you'll open our hearts for understanding. And God, we thank you that we get to join you this morning in the work that your Holy Spirit's gonna do. In your name, amen. Now, before we get too deep into this text, we have to pull out some crucial undercurrents or themes from this text before we get into the application. From this text, there are really three important implications about the love of God. The first one is that the love of God is an individual love. It wasn't enough for the shepherd in this parable to still have 99% of his sheep left over when the one went astray. Of course not. The shepherd leaves the 99 and then looks for the one that went missing. No matter how large a family is, any parent knows you can't spare even one of your children. And God won't be satisfied until the last wanderer is brought back home. Scripture says that even the hairs on your head are numbered. It's a personal, individual love for you and me. The second implication of God's love is that it's a seeking love. The shepherd in this parable wasn't content to wait until the lost sheep found its way back to the flock. This is what was so radical to the Jewish people during the time of Christ. Up to this point, so much of the Jewish faith was was based on performance. It was based on the idea that if you obey, obey enough commands, make enough sacrifices, that's what made you holy. Chuck mentioned this last week when he talked about the parable of the dinner, that the Pharisees expected to get into heaven because they acted more holy than everyone else. They followed more commandments than everyone else. And so what Jesus presented about God was so radical that the Jewish people couldn't get their minds around it at the time. They would have gladly agreed if this parable had ended with the lost sheep came struggling back home, wretchedly crawling on his knees, then begging for forgiveness, God would bring him back in. But our God is far more wonderful than that. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. He isn't content to wait until we find our way back. He goes out and search for us, no matter the cost. And the third implication of the love of God is a rejoicing love. When the shepherd finds this lost sheep, he rejoices over it, even more so than he was still happy to have the 99 who didn't go astray. Sometimes we're only willing in the church to accept those who come back after we give them their moral lecture, after, they, after we feel like they're sorry enough. And even then, we sometimes still don't trust them again. But the good shepherd puts his sins behind him, and when he finds us, it's all joy. And so now that we've got some of this groundwork, groundwork about the love of God, there are two ways that I believe are appropriate for interpreting this parable. The first is evangelistic, or for the lost. This is scratching my beard. Sorry. <laughs> I believe this parable is one of the clearest and most beautiful representations of how Jesus seeks and saves the lost. The second way of interpreting this parable is ecclesiological or for the church. This parable not only gives us an incredible description of how Jesus seeks and saves the lost, but it also gives us a clear prescription for how we as the church are supposed to treat the wandering sheep of our own flock. So let's start with the first. How is this one evangelistic or for the lost? First, we've got to assign some meaning to each of these different characters. The first is the searching shepherd. This is Jesus. Then there are the 99 sheep safe on the mountainside. Those are the believers who have already put their trust in Christ. And then there are the lost sheep. These represent the lost person who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ as their savior. So through our evangelistic lens, we see that Jesus is the searching shepherd. It's Christ who searches for lost people, 
We saw just a second ago that the love of God is a searching love, and this is what drives Jesus to seek the lost people. He isn't content to wait until the sheep are safe, or until the, or he isn't content to wait for the, with the safe sheep until the wandering one finds their way home. He leaves the 99 and goes out in search of the one who's lost. Notice who does the work here. It isn't the sheep that decides they want to be found. It isn't the lost sheep who wanders back into the flock and then is allowed to come back in. It's Jesus who goes out, he initiates the search, and he pursues those who don't have a relationship with him. So what does this mean for us? It means that Christ wants a relationship with you. Sheep wander. They need direction. They need a good shepherd to guide them to where they should go. So if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he wants one. He wants you. You aren't just another number to him. We saw earlier, it's an individual love, and he's seeking you. We see at the end of this parable that it's not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Jesus wants you, and he doesn't want you to remain lost. So Jesus is the searching shepherd who seeks lost people. But Jesus doesn't just search and search and never find. He's the locating shepherd. Palestinian shepherds were experts at finding their lost sheep. They could follow a sheep's track for miles. They would brave cliffs and precipices just to find one lost sheep. In Jesus' day, the flocks were often communal. They belonged to communities or villages. So it usually wasn't just one shepherd. It was usually multiple shepherds who walked over a flock. This is why the shepherd in the parable could leave the 99 and go search for the one. Because if he left them with no one to watch over them, he'd come back and half of his sheep would be gone. But he could leave them with fellow shepherds. And while he went out and finds the lost that wandered away. And when he went to find the sheep, he would make the most strenuous and sacrificial effort that he possibly could to get that lost sheep home. It was a typical shepherd's rule, and still is today in the Middle East, that if a sheep couldn't be found, then you at the very least had to bring back its fleece or its bone to prove that he was dead. The shepherds would sacrifice almost anything to bring back home lost sheep. And you know what's such a paradox about how relentless the shepherd has to be to find the lost sheep? is how bad the sheep need to be found by the shepherd. And it's a paradox because often before we know Christ, we're convinced we know what's best for us. We either aren't interested or we don't believe in the God of the Bible. Maybe we aren't prideful enough to say that there isn't a God, but if there is, it definitely isn't the one that we see here in the Bible. And this is true with real sheep too. They wander around on their own. And next thing they know, they're falling off a cliff or marooning themselves on a ledge that they can't get off of. And you may not believe this right now, but without the good shepherd, Jesus, you are aimlessly wandering and not realizing that the end of your road isn't more road. It's a cliff. You need the good shepherd to put his crook around your neck and keep you from that ledge. You may feel like there's freedom in roaming. You aren't tied down or committed to some outdated ideology, but let me tell you, it's a life of emptiness. I'm all too convinced that if I didn't believe in Jesus as my savior, I'd be a wandering skeptic of everything. It's how I'm wired. I'd be begging for something to believe in, but too prideful to admit that Jesus was begging me into a relationship with him. So the paradox of the searching shepherd is how bad the lost sheep need to be found. And Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice to do this, to bring back home lost sheep. He died on a cross so that we could have a relationship with him. 
So based on what we know about the links that the shepherd would go through to find lost sheep, it's no surprise what we see in verse 13. He says, it says that if he turns out that he finds it, the lost sheep, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 who have not gone astray. You can imagine the joy of the shepherd who came back carrying the lost sheep on his shoulders, the links he went to to find the sheep and to now be able to hold it in his arms and carry it back to safety. This parable shows Jesus' favorite picture of God and his love. Our God is a rejoicing God, and he has a rejoicing love. There's no grudge. There's only joy. But Jesus isn't saying that the shepherd doesn't care for those who are safe. He also isn't saying that God isn't delighted over those who stay safe in the fold, but he's saying there's a peculiar and a particular joy over bringing home that which was lost. So how many of you are still wandering? How many of you are worried that God no longer wants you? You've said no to him your whole life. You've rejected him over and over. But just like the parable says, he's the searching shepherd. And he wants that relationship with you. Now, something interesting about this parable is that we see a very similar version in Luke chapter 15. But if we look closely, there are some important things to note before we just say that this is the same parable with the same meaning. In Luke 15, it opens with the parable of the lost sheep, but it starts in verse 1 by saying, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners came near to him to listen. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble and say, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, this is very different than what we see in Matthew 18. It opens in verse 1 with, At the time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Matthew opens with Jesus talking to his disciples. Luke 15 opens with Jesus talking to sinners and to Pharisees and to scribes. Now, this is so important because it gives a whole new dimension to this parable. So much so that I would argue that instead of Matthew and Luke telling slightly different versions of the same event, I'd say that Jesus actually told this parable twice to two different audiences, and Luke grabs one of them and Matthew grabs the other. And that's where I think we get to our second interpretation in the book of Matthew, which is the ecclesiological one, or for the church. Yes, it's true that Jesus is the searching, the locating, and the rejoicing shepherd. But I believe that in Matthew, this parable is also a charge to the church to imitate him in this way. And this is why context is so important, because it changes some of the meaning in a very intentional way. The metaphor in this parable would not have been unfamiliar to the disciples who were all Jewish. In fact, it was probably one of the easiest ones for them to connect the dots on. This is because that sheep was used as an example for God's people in the Old Testament over 200 times. Shepherds being used to represent the leaders over Israel was used dozens of times in the Old Testament. Okay, so they know what Jesus is talking about. They've seen this metaphor dozens, if not hundreds of times already. But I believe that Jesus is trying to invoke a specific passage to their minds. We see this in Ezekiel 34, and I'll read it for you, and hopefully you'll see what I mean. He says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool and you slaughter the fat without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you've not strengthened, the diseased you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and severity you've dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. 
My flock was scattered over the surface of the earth and there was no one to seek for them. What I believe that Jesus is implying by using this parable is that the disciples were to be the new shepherds who watch over the flock that's called by Christ. They're to replace the shepherds prophesied against in Ezekiel and the other bad shepherds of the Old Testament. And I believe the application is for the church today as well. But this doesn't just stop at church leaders and pastors. This applies to every single person who has someone in the church that they look after in some way. If you lead a small group, this is for you. If you disciple someone, this is for you. If you have a brother or a sister in Christ that has wandered away from the church, this is for you. No one is exempt from this if they're followers of Christ. So what does this mean? First, as a church, we're to search for lost sheep like Jesus did. And this is a different type of lost sheep. In the first application of this parable, we see that the lost sheep are those who have yet to accept Christ. These lost sheep are the ones who are in the church and have now rebelled or are wandering away. Now, you've heard me say a couple of times already, but sheep are not the brightest tools in the shed. We're stubborn. We want our own way. We think we know what's best for us. So there are wandering sheep who have strayed away from God and from the church. And Jesus is saying in this parable that it's us who should be seeking those who were once among us and have now wandered away. It should be us who hit our knees in prayer for those that are wandering. And it should be us who aren't content to wait with the 99 and just hopes of one day that they'll come back. We're the body of Christ, the family of Christ, and a family can't spare even one of its members. Second, just like Jesus, we're supposed to be relentless in our pursuit of those who wander astray. And no, not all who wander away want to be found. And I'd say that without the Holy Spirit, most who wander away don't want to be found. So we shouldn't harass people and annoy the mess out of them to get back into the church because those aren't the way, that's not the ways of Christ. But what we can be absolutely relentless in is our prayers for them. Here's a quick side note. How many of us complain about the next generation? About the things that we don't like that they do? We all do it. I'm a millennial. I feel this all the time by everybody. We're the worst. We're the snowflake generation. And I'm not going to argue with you. There's plenty to complain about. And my generation does it to Gen Z. Gen X, Gen, the boomers did it to Gen X. So how many of us complain about what we don't like about the next generation? But are we praying for them? How many of us are praying for the next generation to be raised up and to be brought up to fight the good fight, but we aren't discipling them? How many of us can name one, two, or three people in the church that have wandered away, and yet it's been years since we've reached out or even prayed for them? Shepherds search relentlessly for their sheep. We have the tools to fight off the attacks. The shepherds had their crooks and their slings and their staffs, and they fought off their bears and their lions and the wolves. And that just sounded a lot more like the Wizard of Oz than I anticipated. <laughs> but how many of us has watched as weaker brothers and sisters get stuck in the mud of this world, and instead of reaching our hands into the dirt to pull them out, we back up and we say, my robes are really white, man. I don't know if I want to step into that right now. I hope you get out. I'll pray for you, but then we don't. I don't reach my hand in there because that's dirty and my clothes are white. Shepherds search relentlessly for their sheep. We should be equipped with the armor of God and not satisfied until we've picked up the lost sheep and carried them home on our shoulders. But if we're not able to bring the wanderer back, we pray for them. 
we hit our knees knowing we did everything we could to bring them back. And now we have to be careful because the pressure isn't on us to save lost people. It's Jesus who seeks and saves the lost. But it is our responsibility as the church to care for the ones that Christ has already called into a relationship with himself. It's our responsibility as the church and the people of the church to disciple and to protect. Let's read that passage in Ezekiel again. He says, those who are sickly, you've not strengthened. The diseased, you've not healed. The broken, you've not bound up. The scattered, you've not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and severity, you've dominated them. It's our responsibility as the body of Christ to strengthen each other. Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So when a member of the body of Christ starts to go astray, it should be us who are the first ones to hit our knees and to pray and to bring back the search of the wandering sheep. And then what do we do when they come back? Jesus answers that question too. Just like the shepherd in the parable, we should rejoice when those who wander from God come back. I mentioned this earlier, but in the church, sometimes we do a poor job of this. It sometimes feels like we're the Pharisees. We are okay if the wanderer comes back, but only if they first receive their moral spanking. If they feel sorry enough or penitent enough, we tend to act like the Pharisees and have a hard time accepting them back into the church after they've wandered away for a time. And even when they do come back, sometimes we still don't trust them. Sometimes we still don't hold them up as highly as other believers. And that's not what Jesus tells us to do in this parable. He tells us, he tells his disciples to rejoice over the wanderer that comes home. Nate mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in his, par- in his parable about the prodigal son. Sometimes older brothers make it really hard for younger brothers to come back to the church. The church, guys, he tells us to rejoice over the wanderer coming back home. And it's not conditional. It says rejoice and that's it. It doesn't say rejoice if you feel like they're sorry. It doesn't say rejoice if you think they feel bad enough. So for those of you who are currently astray right now, you aren't in the church. You were at one point, maybe. Maybe you were a committed believer at one point, but now you've walked away from the church. Maybe you walked away because of the people in the church. You've experienced what Ezekiel 34 talked about, bad earthly shepherds. Maybe you've experienced a bad earthly church, but please hear what I'm saying. Don't let your experience with a bad earthly shepherd or a bad church keep you from belonging to the ultimate good shepherd, who is Jesus. And don't let it keep you from finding a church who loves you in your weakness and who'll still look after you the way that God has called them to do. And so if that's you and that's why you're here, you're looking for a church to love you, looking for a church to care for you, to disciple you. I think you found that church here. So church, what do we do with this parable? We search for those who have wandered away just like Jesus searched for us when we were lost. We relentlessly pursue those who need to come back home. And we rejoice and we celebrate when they come back in. So if you aren't a follower of Christ, what do you do with this? Know that there is a good shepherd who's searching for you. Maybe you know this and you've been resisting this for a long time. Maybe you've been hearing Jesus call you to himself, and you just keep saying no. Our shepherd is a good shepherd, and he wants a personal relationship with you. How long will you keep holding out? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. 
God, we thank you that there are good shepherds in the church. And we thank you that you are the ultimate good shepherd. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who's wandering, they were in the church at one point, but they've wandered away. God, I pray you draw them in. Lord, I pray that you would draw them in so close to you and so close to the church that there are people here who can love on them well. I pray that you would pursue the lost who have never come into a relationship with you. I pray that this place would be a place for lost sheep who've never come into the church before. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what you do. I pray that you'll use these words to keep us obedient this week. I pray that as the church, we'll seek the lost and that we'll rejoice when they come back home. Lord, we love you and we'll thank you for what you do. In your name, amen.